You're listening to Environmentally Speaking, a weekly podcast diving into legal matters surrounding the environment, public utilities, energy, zoning, and permitting laws in Rhode Island and the surrounding areas with your host, Marissa Desitel. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Environmentally Speaking. I'm Marissa Desitel, an environmental attorney with a few decades of experience. I'm cracking up because... <laughs> Clarice, every time I say, hi, everyone, you, you get this look on your face. Like, I think it's the funniest thing. I know we're addressing all of you guys who clearly aren't right in front of us, but it just cracks me right up. It's talking to an empty room. The two of us are both in our offices, totally yep. alone, and we're just like announcing into the ether. Hey, everybody. <laughs> it makes me so happy. So hi guys, it's Clarice bringing the questions, topics, funny musings, and whatever else I can think of to the table today. What are we talking about today? I think we got a request, right? We do. We have a request. So if you guys remember from our super fund site episode, which was our super bummer episode, um, a friend of mine, Zach, requested to talk about that. And he's come back again to ask about... Yes, he's come back to ask about public beach access. And yeah, just talking a little bit about who can go to the beach and where where we're allowed to. You know, Rhode Island being a coastal state, I guess it makes sense that people would get really worked up about public access to the shoreline. But it's it's a very hot topic in Rhode Island and has been for a couple of years. And that is because I think of uh, recent litigation where the Rhode Island Attorney General's Office got involved with, um, I believe it was a declaratory judgment action where they wanted the state court system to declare that the public had um, more rights to riparian shoreline access than property owners who own those shoreline parcels actually do. And um, it it's a question that is governed by the Rhode Island Constitution. I don't know if you know if you knew that, but Rhode Island has its own separate state constitution. It drafted hundreds of years ago, and clearly, even back then, public access to the shoreline was an issue because the state access to the shore is in article one section 17 of the Rhode Island constitution. That's early. Yeah. It talks about how the public shall have rights to fish from the shore, gathering seaweed, which is, seems kind of a random activity, but actually it goes back to the historical use of seaweed as a crop fertilizer in Rhode Island, including whole lobsters. People used whole dead lobsters as fertilizer. They weren't eaten because they were considered rats of the ocean. Isn't that wild? Well, in Maine, when Maine first started, they fed the prisoners lobsters and that was ruled inappropriate as cruel and unusual punishment. And now we're paying 30 plus bucks just to eat their tails. (laughs) I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Cruel and unusual. Okay. Um, I'm a vegetarian, so that makes sense to me. But um, the, the constitution also covers... Uh, access to the sea for swimming and passage along the shore, which make a lot of sense. So these rights of way are 
considered part of something called the public trust doctrine, which essentially says that the state holds title to these lands in trust for the public's use. The issue arises about access when you've got a private landowner who owns a piece of property directly on the ocean or you know adjacent to the the setback to the ocean and gets upset when people are laying on the beach in front of their house or gathering shells or fishing um so that's where a lot of the civil action around this particular to- topic comes into play does that all make sense it does but my follow up question is when that person bought their waterfront property doesn't their deed tell them how far they own the public trust doctrine tells them that they own uh, from their lot line to um, the mean high tide watermark. So obviously that distance changes depending on the time of day. I mean, it doesn't, excuse me, let me back up. It doesn't change on the time of day. Your mean high watermark is the same in theory every single day. But how do you, as a, as a non-property owner, if you're just someone on the beach or trying to swim or fish, how do you know where that mark is? And so that that's become the focal point for a lot of litigation as well. So what's moving is Rhode Island currently, I know that it's active litigation. So is Rhode Island leaning one way Are like you said, they're becoming a little bit more pro public access. What is that starting to look like? The recent litigation, which I believe is over, had to do with the CRMC's objectives, as well as some, it was, some of it was political, but one of the CRMC's objectives is to safeguard the opportunities for public access for recreational, historical, aesthetic purposes. So that's, I mean, that, that comes from the, the Coastal Zone Management Act, which is the federal statute that guides the CRMC. And under that statute, the CRMC has been taking a look at what the rights of way are for the different um, beach access points in the state, as well as coastal trails, boardwalks, um, and and fencing in coastal areas, how that impacts the public's ability to actually get to the shoreline. So it's, it's it's a hot topic, probably also because land development is getting to be more difficult as we continue to build subdivisions and, and build up along the coastline with climate change being the way that it is. People are very, um, what's the word, squirrely about their uh, property ownership rights. And, and we're seeing more uh, litigation at the state level concerning these issues. And I think you're touching on a great point, especially with climate change and you know the ever changing nature of these coastal areas and how important it is to preserve them uh, yep. just 2 months ago my husband and i went to a beach that we used to go to every year and this year the beach was gone so i mean wow. it's it's one of those things that we think of in a nebulous fashion until you go to your favorite yearly spot and it doesn't exist anymore so yeah. i could you know i could see the need to go back and review the legislation and talk about what access rights are cuz just by the nature, there's less and less access through yep. ownership and through existence. Yep. So is there a situation where, and I'm sure it depends, is going to be the incoming answer. I can feel it in my bones. 
Is there a situation where you may own a part of a beach and like you said, you own up to that mean water line or high tide line and people still have access to it? So can people still go onto that portion of the beach as long as they're within those lines? In theory, yeah. It depends on what type of activity they're undertaking though. They can't lay down on a towel. They can recreate, they can walk, um, they can fish. It just depends on the activity. Um, there was a, I think the most recent case on this issue was out of Westerly where the attorney general's office looked at whether a stretch of beach in Westerly was actually dedicated to the public by the property owners. Because sometimes with, with real property conveyances, you can include an easement or a right-of-way in perpetuity so that the public does maintain more um, access than is customarily recognized under the public trust doctrine. So I believe in that case, um, the, the court talked about how public access was being made more difficult recently because of the public portion of the beach being partially underwater as a result of sea level rise. So it's, I mean, even the court's struggling with how to look at these cases. I could see that being more difficult. Yeah. You get to yep. be on this part of the beach that's, you know, underwater. underwater. Yeah. Yep. So I could see where the, the, you know, the use and enjoyment is disturbed and that purpose is kind of yep. moot at that point. Um, I, I think that was the last the last case on on the issue. And now the CRMC is undergoing some uh, study of reorganization by um, a special house commission in Rhode Island. So I bring that up because the oversight that CRMC provides is so important. They're the state regulatory agency that handles enforcement and permitting as well as public trust cases, including aquaculture projects that they're permitting. And there have been some questions recently about the transparency with the processes that they're undertaking. Uh, and it's hopeful that the commission will put forth a recommendation and study on potential reorganization by April 1st of next year. So that is actively ongoing. And that's sooner than I expected. I yeah. Mean, April of next year really isn't that far away. It's really not. It's going to come up quick. Mm-hmm. So that's so, all I've got for public trust and, and shoreline access. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I think a good summation of this would probably be that even though access is changing, it sounds like the restructuring of the agency that oversees what access looks like is also changing. Potentially, potentially, who knows? Potentially changing. And so is the tide. So nothing is certain and sit on your beach while you have it. Yep. (laughs) Good advice. All right, everybody. That is today's episode. If you have any topics, comments, things you want to write in, feel free to email us at help at desateliesq.com. Hit us up on Instagram, like, and subscribe. I'm told those are important for our metrics, but I don't actually know what those metrics are. So that just makes me happy. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good one, everybody. Thanks.
Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Environmentally Speaking. If you're in need of an environmental attorney, we are here to help. Call us at 401-477-0023 or visit our website at www.desatellaw.com. That's www.desatellaw.com.